0: Good, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Gregory Kless. I'm a research fellow at Bruegel, uh, and it's a pleasure for me to chair to, to this, uh, this event on the, on the future of the EU budget. Uh, let me first thank uh, the audience um, uh, for being here today and for travelling across the entire auto World uh, building. It seems that it was not that easy to find uh, th- this room. Uh, let me also thank, of course, um, our speakers who have accepted to, uh, our invitation to speak on this uh, very important topic uh, for the EU. Uh, so we thought that um, it was very important and uh, that it was very timely uh, to discuss uh, this topic at the moment because uh, the EU budget uh, has been heavily criticized uh, during uh, the Brexit campaign. Uh, and the Brexit um, supporters uh, have, been, uh, have considered the EU budget as a pure waste of money. So uh, we thought that it would be interesting to, to, uh, to discuss that uh, at the moment. Uh, and I would say that the EU bashing is not only a, a British national sport, but uh, when you live here in Brussels, in fact, you, you still hear a lot of criticism on, uh, on the EU budget. Uh, everybody has his own thing in the EU budget that they don't like. Uh, for some people, it's too small. For some people, uh, it's not flexible enough. Uh, for other people, it's too focused on agriculture funds. Uh, for other people, it's too focused on, uh, on cohesion funds. Uh, and for others, uh, there is not enough money uh, for innovation, for research, or, or for security, or for migration, or for climate change, you name it. Everybody uh, has an opinion about this and everybody uh, likes to criticize um, the EU budget. So all in all, uh, we thought that uh, Brexit, uh, when it happens or or if it happens, uh, could be um, the right uh, opportunity uh, to reassess and to uh, maybe to reform uh, the EU budget uh, because uh, there will be the loss of course of the the UK uh, contribution. Uh, and also because the UK had uh, very strong views on what, what could be and what could not be done uh, with the EU budget. So maybe it's, uh, it's also an opportunity uh, to, to, to rethink uh, the EU budget. So uh, I'm not going to talk uh, for very long because we have an excellent and, and very diverse uh, panel uh, of, uh, of experts to discuss this topic uh, today. Uh, so let me introduce them um, quickly to you. Uh, in alphabetical order. So first we'll have uh, Nadia Calvino, who is the Director General of DG Budget here at the, at the European Commission. Then we'll have uh, Claude Denaktergal, who is an advisor at the European Trade Union Confederation. Then uh, we'll have uh, uh, the pleasure to hear uh, Vasil Hudak, who is the Chief Negotiator uh, on the EU Budget for the Slovak Presidency uh, of, the, of the Council. And last, but not least, uh, we'll have uh, Jakob von Weissecker, uh, who is a member of the European Parliament, but uh, more importantly, an, a Bruegel alumni, uh, because he was a research fellow uh, at Bruegel from, from 2005 to 2010. So here is uh, how we are going to, to proceed. Uh, I'm just going to give uh, five, ten minutes uh, to our speakers. Uh, for some introductory remarks, uh, to to see what are their views on on the future of the EU budget and if it's the right time, as I think, uh, to to rethink uh, the the, the EU budget. And uh, and then, uh, this will leave us uh, an hour to have a proper discussion on, on, on everything you ever wanted to know about the EU budget. Um, so we'll have a discussion be- between us, of course, but also uh, with the audience. So there will be uh, uh, you will have the chance to ask questions, make comments, suggestions about uh, what you think it should be in the EU budget. So thanks very much. Uh, let's start uh, we, we, with uh, with Nadia. Yes.
1: Hi. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It is indeed a very timely debate to, to reflect on the EU budget. Of course, we are constantly uh, thinking and discussing these issues, but it's good to, to start engaging in a more public manner about this um, feature. I would like, first of all, to say that I am happy and proud to be Director General of the of Digi budget. So, uh, there are many people who criticize indeed, but there are also many that support, and I am personally very strongly convinced of how good it is to have an EU budget to fund European added value uh, and European policies. So uh, now you know, you know this, is, this is the executive summary of, of my position on this matter, but let me, uh, before going into the outlook and the challenges ahead, maybe give the audience a bit of background about the EU budget, because many times criticism or questions, such as the ones you have, you have put in the, in the programme, come from the fact that people don't realise how different the EU budget is from a normal national budget. As you well know, the European budget is only funding European policies and does not fund the normal services that I provided at national level, be it public services, security, education, administration, health, etc. From this point of view, it's a budget which is uh, much more stable. It does not have the same uh, basic stabilization function that a a national budget would have with social expenditure, etc. The size is uh, around 1% of European GNI, so around 2% of public expenditure in Europe, so obviously it cannot attain the same as public expenditure at national level. But it doesn't mean that it's irrelevant. On the contrary, it's a very important budget in the areas where we spend. Agriculture is a case, an obvious case, but research also. And secondly, The stability of the European budget and its nature makes it very complementary to national budgets. So, for example, just just to highlight one of the stabilization elements that the EU budget has provided, throughout the crisis, most of public expenditure, public investment in a number of member states has been done thanks to the co-financing by the European budget. So one could wonder, you know, if we didn't have this external stability element, how would we have fared with only the national expenditure? So I think, and that's, that's a first comment I would like to make, that size is not the only thing that matters when one determines the importance of a budget or the importance of a tool. The European budget is more important than the actual size it has. A second uh, remark I I wanted to make is that despite the fact that uh, still 70% of the budget is devoted to the traditional functions of agriculture and regional policy, and you've mentioned uh, that there are questions about it, it's not been static. It's not like the budget has never changed. It's been evolving to try to reflect the European political priorities. In that sense, the European budget is is not... uh, um, it's nothing less than a symptom or an example of the political decisions, economic decisions that are taken at European level. In the current multiannual financial framework, for example, we have started to introduce new tools like financial instruments, we have significantly simplified the research area with the program Horizon 2020, which is a great success, and everybody is extremely supportive. Uh, if I may, just to react to your introductory remarks, not less uh, British universities, who are <laughs> amongst the, the best and uh, the most important beneficiaries of this part of the budget. So the, the European budget has. Uh, Maybe too slowly, one could argue, but in any case, quite surely, tried to reflect, with this seven-year planning, the new needs. And let me finish this introductory remarks with with a reflection on what you were saying. What are the current challenges? Is this the time to uh, do a a thorough review of, of the European budget or to rethink it from scratch? Well, first, we have to uh, do a mid-term review of the current multi-annual financial framework. And so in the coming weeks, the Commission will propose this uh, mid-term review. We have to do it before the end of the year, the proposal. Then the Parliament and the Council will engage in the the negotiations. So we have to, now that we are approaching the mid-term, think how has the multi-annual financial framework worked, Is it going in the right direction? Should we reinforce some programs? Should we change the rules of the game, etc.? And uh, we will probably look at it not only from a quantitative perspective, but also qualitatively. Are the rules too complicated? Should we review them? Should we streamline the delivery system, if I may call it that way? So that is going to come. Now, it is true that we are at a a crucial time, uh, independently from this midterm review, when one thinks not only that there may be changes in terms of the architecture of the union uh, derived from the the vote that took place in, in the UK, but also that more and more we see that member states and citizens generally expect more from the European Union than what can be delivered with the budget as it is. And the area of border control is a very clear example, I think, in the last couple of years we, there has been a very fast progress on the political side to create new tools, new instruments for border control, entry-exit system, the creation of a new agency for refugees in Europe. All these tools, uh, all these instruments did not, were not foreseen in areas where until now uh, the, the general agreement was these are areas reserved for national sovereignty and the European Union should not be funding policies. So. What we have seen in the last couple of years is that there are new areas, not to talk about growth and jobs, so the European Fund for Strategic Investment, for example. There are some areas where there's a call for more Europe. You have to do more. You have to respond more to the challenges And there, the European budget will have to adjust. So uh, this, I think, uh, leaves no doubt as to the challenge that we're facing, that that we probably will have to deal with new needs in new areas. And at the same time, the architecture of the union may be changing. So um, we will certainly have more time to discuss in the debate. But let me just close this introduction by saying, well, it's it's a very exciting place to work at.
0: Uh, thanks very much. Uh, let's let's give the floor to Claude. Sorry.
2: Thanks a lot. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thanks a lot for the invitation to participate in your debate and exchange views because it's just the right time. The debate has started in in the Commission, some, somehow, also in the Parliament, and also in the TUC because we have. Uh, very huge uh, demands and also critics about uh, well, the present format of uh, the EU budget. The good thing that we want to underline first is that there is this mid term review, and with also the participation, uh, important participation of and consultation of the Europe- European Parliament, and so more democracy. Uh, and we deeply hope that this democracy will be respected uh, and that finally, also in the proposal of the commission, that we are looking forward. And so if you give us more information or some information about that, it would be helpful and interesting. But more seriously, uh, we deeply hope and we ask to have a reshape of the, the budget We would also have a higher budget, more corresponding to our uh, challenges to face, but also all what is in the EU 2020 strategy, all all these uh, targets um, to reach them, we need also money. And as you know, and not only TUC, but other, uh, stakeholders and organizations also, uh, I think the Committee of Region criticized the, the, the lack of ambition of uh, the Member state in terms of deciding the amount. So we have also ideas concerning new own resources. I think also the Commission, in the previous period uh, you had also some uh, concrete proposal. But I imagine we'll go back to that uh, in the debate. So first, um, of course, the situation is completely different. The economic and political context is completely different than when the present MFF was discussed and adopted, finally, after big deals uh, between, well, in the trilogue. log. And the, the, the main challenges, of course, is first to finance this ambitious, uh European uh, Strategic Investment Fund. And now, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you have more information, but it, it, it's quite uh, something not very much defined, um, only the, the reference to the use of the structural funds. But besides that, also, you have the migration and refugee situation emergency situation and we we don't speak about crisis because it's not a crisis uh, it's a humanitarian uh, responsibility that we have and with huge uh, huge, uh, requests and huge uh, also financial uh, responses to give but in some way politically not supported by some states. But anyway, for the new agencies as you referred to concerning asylum and so on, we, we also need, and Europe need more money. We also have to face the problem, to continue to face the problem of youth unemployment. And the yay, well, has been used. The money that uh, finally we, we, we found using the ESF, the European Social Fund, but also some cohesion line. But well, we have to continue. We have to continue because the problem is not solved at all. And even so, uh, in the framework of the ESF committee, we had to push with the help of the commission, we had to push the member state to use the money, to commit the money before the end of last year. So this is really another challenge and if we want to give a positive image uh, of Europe, of the European Union, this is to be used and the message to, towards uh, young people, but also migrants and refugees, has to be really uh, clear enough, also in terms of uh, financing. Then we have also the follow-up of the Paris Agreement on the climate change, and we have concrete proposals concerning the setting up of a just transition fund, I can explain more afterwards if uh, you want, and not using the, the present ESF or cohesion funds. And then we have also the big problem of payment backlog. Uh, we never speak or not enough about that, but there is a, a big amount, I, I can't remember, and don't know, maybe you know the, the, the present amount of this backlog. But money uh, committed, but not paid, but influencing, of course, in all uh, the, 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 the amount of the budget or available budget. So we have demands, and I will go in depth in the debate, if uh, if it's possible, and exchange with you and see also what, what you're seeing about that. But. Because as it you see, we have uh, an ambitious investment plan. This is called New Path for Europe, which was before the one of Juncker. So in some way, we are happy that uh, it has been in some way taken on board, but not so ambitious, <laughs> I would say. And then concerning uh, the European Social and Investment Fund, uh, yes. Uh, it's an important part of the EU budget. Yes, we have the European Code of Conduct on partnership, which is a delegated act, and that finally, we managed to have so that social partners, we are fully on board, fully involved in all the monitoring committees, but in the reality, even in the SF committees, it's not such the case. So this is highly important uh, also to ensure And I refer to the quadripartite declaration on a new start for Europe, where we underline all the the partners. So with the Commission, the European Social Partners, that social dialogue and strengthening social dialogue is important to restart EU economy. But also the capacity building of social partners and also in new members there member states with other mentality, history, practices, have to be helped. And so social capacity capacity building of social partners is enshrined in the ESF uh, regulation. And so we have to use it. And we also target to have 2% of the ESF amount and not an appropriate amount as it is written in the regulation. And on the other end, as far as the SF is concerned, step by step, the SF has to give an answer to more challenges, to finance the aid, to finance the refugee migrant more, to find them mobility and URES, to finance long term and employed with the initiative of the commission. So we ask for a minimum shares. I will come back in in more details with you and exchange. But finally, uh, also concerning development policies, because the EU budget is very ambitious. And we were so supportive of this amount for, uh, I think it's global Europe, this chapter. But nowadays, still no member state, or quite no member state, has respected this target of using 0.7% of the GNI to support uh, development policy and to support uh, overseas development assistance. So it's just also something we sometimes forget uh, in some areas of discussion. And I will come afterwards back for uh, own resources, but mentioning first of all the use of the financial transaction tax which
3: is uh, on the agenda today. Thank you for your attention. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And first of all, I would like to thank uh, Bruegel for putting EU budget on the agenda of this annual meeting. Uh, It's probably not such a uh, sexy topic, but it's important topic, certainly. And uh, as Nadia mentioned, it's sometimes fun to work on this. Uh, For me, it's uh, first experience as part of the Slovak Presidency to work on the EU budget, although I was uh, before engaged on the national level in the budgets uh, uh, for for the country. But it's a slightly different exercise. More stakeholders, more opinions, more ideas, and so on. Anyway, very exciting, exciting time. Uh, Exciting also because, uh, as you know, uh, money talks and uh, budget is the, EU budget is the microcosm where all different opinions, different ideas are coming together. And uh, you may have different views, different uh, nice words and visions, uh, but eventually what matters is what you put actually in the money. And that's where I think the real test of how much European we are or not is is happening. So we as the Slovak presidency are now in this uh, middle of a Uh, exciting but uh, challenging time Um, uh, many challenges were already mentioned in terms of uh, Brexit, in terms of migration in terms of the concerns of our citizens about the economic well-being social issues, (laughs) security and all this has somehow directly or indirectly impact obviously on the budget our main uh, responsibility as the presidency is for the annual budget 2017 but obviously many other discussions are taking place in parallel whether it's the mid-term review of the multi-annual financial framework, uh, post-2020 budget, the financial regulation revision, many, many things which are happening and uh, I don't envy <laughs> Nadia and her people to have all these on, on their shoulders and of course also friends in the European Parliament, but uh, it's an important task we have, to, we have to move forward. So, I just say a few words about the annual budget because it also shows many elements which are important for the longer term thinking. Uh, as the council, as the representative of the 28 countries, uh, uh, we uh, had to react and find a position uh, towards the proposal which came at the end of uh, uh, June from the European Commission. Uh, I can say that uh, actually the agreement and the consensus was found uh, in a very quick time, I would say a rec- almost a record, uh, which shows that uh, there is a certain unanimity among the member states on what are the main uh, what are the main uh, tasks and the priorities of the budget. My personal opinion is that uh, my colleague who works in the budget committee who is here, uh, Janko may say more, but uh, my, uh, my personal opinion and impression is that uh, in a way the Brexit, Brexit danger and uh, situation even created more uh, coalescence, more uh, ability and willingness of the member states to, to come and, and work together on, on different issues. Now, when we were we looking at 2017 budget, uh, the main principles of the council uh, were the following, but I think they also show the priorities for the future. One is the continued interest and, uh, and major focus on strict uh, discipline and fiscal management. Because we have to make sure that the money, which is actually the money of the uh, European citizens are managed, spent in the, in the right way. Uh, Secondly, we have to make sure uh, and uh, we have to determine what are the reasonable levels of appropriations on the basis of the past and the current budget implementation and realistic absorption capacities. Long sentence, but basically, as you know, we are always in the budget playing with the two elements. Uh, One is the uh, commitments or commitment appropriations and the payment appropriations. And there is always unfortunately, a divergence, but it's a normal situation that you commit money uh, at some level, but uh, the actual spending and payments and appropriations uh, in terms of payments are go- uh, lagging behind commitments. And this is one of the challenges we are uh, struggling with in the EU budget, how to make sure that uh, uh, payments don't lag too much behind commitments, because then you create this, uh, what I call, a Sisyphos. Sisyphus uh, situation where you are pushing bigger and bigger uh, role in front of you uh, and at some point it will catch up with you. Uh, at some point you have to pay these commitments, uh, but it comes later. Uh, so adjusting the payments to the re- realistic, uh, realistic absorption and use of the money is, is, is very important. Another issue is uh, uh, how, to, how we make sure that uh, the uh, use of the funds corresponds to the current uh, structure and setup of the <coughs> multi-annual financial framework. And this is something which is a, uh, as you know, we have the seven-year budgeting period in the European Union. We have certain structure of the budget which is part of this seven-year uh, planning. And uh, within the seven years, there is extremely, extremely small area where you can move the budget or differ- different subheadings of the budget in between lines. and. Uh, Frankly, I had with my own colleagues from, uh, in the Budget Committee uh, some tough discussions when I was asking them, why the hell, why are, we, why are we cutting from the budget and from the proposal from the Commission, long-term investments or uh, R&D spending, innovations? And this is what, when I was in the position of Minister of Economy, this was the main areas I was pushing for, because we need more investment, we need more research, we need more innovation, we need more competitiveness for Europe. So why the hell are we spending uh, cutting in the European budget these areas? And the answer was basically, well, no, that's the situation. I mean, you have uh, uh, two thirds of the budget you have uh, for the agricultural policies and for the cohesion policies. Then you have uh, budget lines for global Europe, for the security. You have, of course, for administration and for all the costs uh, that are carried by having uh, European institutions. And you have that much left for any other priorities. And of course we have new priorities which we are not even contemplating in uh, 2014 when the current framework started, uh, meaning meaning, uh, a migration, uh, new security situation and so on. So where the hell are we going to get this money to address all all those issues? And then suddenly you realize, okay, I have to actually cut in some areas which normally I would never cut, but uh, given the situation uh, given the fact that some of the uh, payments in those areas uh, for some of the programs, which are longer term, long term investments, can be postponed till later. Actually, this is the only way to deal with them. Of course, the Council and the Member States realize the importance of enhancing jobs and growth. This is critical, and, uh, and this, uh, these are priorities and they are reflected in the budget, uh, as well as the challenges of migration. Uh, the European Fund for Strategic Investments was, was already mentioned here. Uh, the Council fully, fully supports uh, not only continuation of the EFSI, but also increasing the uh, firepower and, and the budget of the EFSI. And we also had to identify uh, so-called adequate margins, so basically areas of flexibility where we could uh, uh, create these pots of flexibility in the EU budget to make sure that uh, unforeseen, unforeseen events which may happen in 2017 and beyond will be met. So. As a result, uh, the council, uh, council position amounts in terms of commitments to 156,400,000,000 uh, euro, just to give you an idea what the annual budget is. So it's 156.4 billion in terms of commitments. And in terms of payments, payment appropriations for 2017 is 133 billion point eight. So that is our proposal, which is less than what the European Commission was suggesting i'm sure it's much, much less than what the European Parliament will be asking for, uh, but uh, this is what uh, uh, what we believe is uh, is realistic and uh, reflects the position of the member states now, just last uh, last word uh, and, and here I 'm going out of my presidency <laughs> position and uh, chapeau, uh, more on a personal note, uh, would I rather have a different EU budget? Yes. I think as a European citizen, as, a, as, a, as an economist, as a uh, former minister, and so on, yes, I would love to have budget which would be structured differently. I think our budget is archaic. I mean, having one third for agricultural, again, on personal basis, I think it does not correspond to uh, current needs. Having that much for cohesion in terms of grants is archaic. Uh, we need much more money for uh, development, for investment, for innovation. And uh, this is certainly the task for the discussions of the post-2020 budget. But here comes the big question, which I think we are now facing. Uh, we as leaders of the European Union, people uh, in general, which is, uh, are we, do we want more Europe or same Europe or less Europe? If we want more Europe, we need more, more money in the budget. Where the money is coming from? Yes, we have task force on resources, but is there a political will on the national level to go in this direction or not? If it's the same Europe, then I think the only way for us is to look at how we use the money which we have available in a better way. But it's a bigger discussion, and we'll come back to this
4: uh, in our discussion time. Thank you. Yes, thank thank you very much. Um, I think it was an unusual choice to pick me as a panelist because I'm not on the Parliament's Budget Committee. But in a sense, it might have been a good choice because I get to speak last. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to repeat the diagnosis, which is basically saying we have an enormous problem with the composition of the EU budget, and we have an enormous problem of dealing with contingencies, and they're very important contingencies that have come up. And probably on this panel, there might even be a, a consensus that major changes are needed and everybody's saying, well, well, for, for institutional reason, we're inching towards these changes, but we have a very, very hard time getting there. Um, and uh, um, that's, of course, a, a huge political problem. There are European elections, there are national elections, um, a, a tiny fraction of the European um, population works in agriculture, and it still dominates uh, to a very large extent, um, and is sacrosanct. And we simply cannot change it. And this is, this is crazy. And then to come to European citizens and tell them, well, you know, um, uh, all of this is sacrosanct, so that's, um, we're very bad at spending your taxpayers' money, and that's why we need more of it. Um, uh, which, of course, we're saying, uh, and we should be saying, I'm not not saying that's a bad thing, is not a particularly convincing argument, and I'm afraid feeds Euroscepticism. And I think that uh, while I know um, all the difficulties, all the constraints we're confronted with, including my colleagues uh, on the Budget Committee, um, I think that's something that that is worth saying and making it very explicit. And we're, we're, we're in a bit of a bind here. Um, and, and so that's why I think some more fundamental changes are not only desirable, I think, I think they're needed. And one obvious change looking at um, uh, sort of the next, um, uh, at the budget review in the next period is to say, wouldn't it least be possible to move towards a five-year uh, um, framework where you say there's a, a European election, there's a new commission, and there's a new budget framework, and at least uh, um, while that won't solve every problem as we know it, and that you need to create the consensus at the level of member states, but still, I think in terms of making certain that um, as an evolutionary institutional process, uh, we b- get better at reflecting political <laughs> priorities in the budget, as it should be. I mean, as it is normal politics in member states. Um, uh, um, that, that, that would be an important step But, of course, it's an incremental one. Um, And uh, many people who've written about the subject, the future of the European budget, they say, well, another element that we should use is we should have much more own funding. That's what many people say. Um, And I'm not against it, but I want to spend a little bit of time discussing on why that may not be a a, a solution for all the problems uh, that we have. Um, One important reason is that often we talk about, and, and I, I do that as well. I mean, I wouldn't be, uh, uh, I even published a long time ago a Bruegel paper on the financial transaction tax and why a very small one for certain reasons, in my view, uh, w- would be a good thing, uh, and I think we're about to destroy the whole concept and the way we're handling it. But, but, but anyway, um, having, having this funding, that, uh, yes, that would be good. There, there would be more own funding, um, but uh, uh, there would be problems. First of all, um, uh, the transaction tax would be collected from uh, very few member states because large financial marketplaces, they're only in very few member states. Uh, To some extent, and there are other taxes one can imagine, often the kind of taxes that are being discussed, they're they're quite cyclical. Uh, That's not necessarily a good thing for as long as we don't uh, think we should have um, on a large scale the possibility to have a, a debt or a very large rainy day fund. Uh, logically, that's also a possibility, um, but instead uh, the stabilization uh, aspect of things would be still done at member states. Would it be wise if we are not able to stabilize at the European level to have taxes that are highly procyclical? Perhaps, I'm just saying, you know, if we stay within that framework, we're not that bad off having basically shares of, of, of GDP um, <laughs> because that's a little bit more stable in funding than some of the other taxes one can imagine. So I'm not sure whether own funding is necessarily um, a solution to all our problems. I think we need to move towards it. Um, also, and there, there's, there, there's more fundamentally um, the question, would we want to grant um, majority-based council and parliamentary uh, decision um, bodies access to the entire EU tax base. Uh, that's a fundamental question we need to ask ourselves. And I think in some member states there, there, there is concern um, of moving towards a fully fledged transfer union. Um, and I think in that context, also, one needs to be a little bit careful reflecting on you know what would be what would be uh, the right approach to this. Um, but it bears further discussion. Um, One of the reasons why we're discussing the funding aspect is is the old just-retour logic. Um, And I would argue, in a sense, um, to escape from the just-retour logic, we should move much more um, on the expenditure side to European public goods. Because that's really um, the secret to breaking the just-retour logic. You can always say, yes, I don't know whether financial transaction tax is collected at a major marketplace, but there are some member states who don't have this major marketplace, but they still benefit from that and also from that marketplace, and they would also be paying indirectly. Um, uh, but, but still, I think on the, rev- uh, on the revenue side, to es- escape from re- just retour, in a sense, is more difficult than on the expenditure side. And I think our discussion on just retour and how to es- escape from it focuses too much on the revenue side and too little on the expenditure side, and that would be obviously true for public goods, uh, like uh, um, the humanitarian treatment of refugees, or border controls, or other uh, security related. For example, public goods, which brings me to a third point, and I think my time is running out, um, is is of course the problem of, uh, it's not only contingency, it's not only composition, it's also geography, geography of the distant system. There's the EU, there's the Euro area, there's Schengen. How does it all hang together? And it's one of the huge challenges, and I just want to mention that specifically for the Euro area. We also made a proposal um, in the Glinika Gruppe uh, regarding um, what could be done in, in, in the Euro area. But I think unless one has, in addition to insurance mechanisms, which we need in the Euro area, a strong element of public goods, which, to some extent, address a little bit better the problem of Just Retour, I don't think it's going to work. And I don't think we're going to have a pure insurance system at the euro area level. And in closing, sort of the slightly optimistic outlook, the one benefit we may be able to derive uh, from from Brexit in, in the context of that particular discussion is that perhaps the problem of geography is going to become a little bit less of an issue, and, and the differences in geography, say, um, between, uh, between EU, Euro area, and Schengen are going to be uh, more surmountable. Uh, so, so with that, uh, that closing remark, I'm much looking forward to the discussion.
0: Uh, thanks very much uh, to the panellists. Uh, there have been already a lot of material, and I have millions of questions already, but, um, and I'm sure you, you have too. Uh, let me uh, start by asking one different question to to each of you, uh, given what have been uh, uh, discussed already. Uh, for Nadia, first, I think that uh, as as uh, Jakob just said, in fact, lack of flexibility, and it was also mentioned, in fact, by yourself, by Claude, by by Vasil, lack of flexibility is a problem in order to adjust to some new problems. Uh, in 2014, we didn't think about migration, we didn't think about refugees, etc. Um, so, the lack of flexibility is a problem. So uh, what can be done uh, in, the, in the midterm review? What, what, what kind of changes can we expect? Can we expect small changes or big changes or do we have to wait until 2020 or do we have to wait until 2027? uh <laughs> what can we expect from, from, from this midterm review? Should we expect uh, this midterm review to really become something that make um, the, the budget flexible because uh, it's true that having a, a budget of seven years it seems a bit uh, impractical.
1: Well, let me start with the disappointing part, which is you will have to wait until the Commission makes the proposal for the midterm review, because it would not be appropriate for me to disclose what we're thinking, but you're right to point out... Yes, yes, of course. But but you are absolutely right to say that flexibility is one of the core uh, issues that we need to look at. And uh, the interesting feature or the interesting issue is that Different persons have very different understandings when we mention flexibility. So let me be clear that flexibility does not necessarily mean that we want to raise the ceilings or increase the overall amounts, but rather to have more margin to uh, move the money around, to react in you know um, fast. And my second remark on this, if I may, is that. Uh, of course nothing is perfect, of course we we may want to change things, but in the last couple of years what we have been able to achieve with the budget is quite remarkable because we have been able to create the European Fund for Strategic Investments, which has a a guarantee of 16 billion euros, we're going to fund 8 billion, so actually put the cash for the 8 billion uh, fund between now and 2020. We have been able to double the amounts devoted to uh, migration, refugee security. Well of course, we, we cannot fool ourselves, we're starting from a very low basis. The, the whole heading that has to do with citizenship and security is 2% of the budget. Okay. But, nevertheless, we have been able to double these amounts, both for the internal side and for the external side. And I would like to think that this has an impact on the fact that the migration uh, and refugee situation is not the same now than it was one year ago at all. We have tri- tripled the actions in the Mediterranean. There's a new system for border control. The agency has uh, increased uh, you know, more than threefold its, its staff, Frontex, etc., cetera, the other agencies. So it's not that we have not uh, used the flexibility in the system. Actually, uh, as the council and, and the parliament know very well, from the perspective of the commission, we've tried to use as maximum, uh, you know, as much as possible, the flexibility in the system to precisely focus on the priority areas growth and jobs on the one hand and security citizenship refugee crisis etc on the other hmm? so it's not like the system does not allow but it's not totally uh, irrational to think that probably we need to continue in this direction and from now until 2020 increase as much as possible these instruments that allow us to 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 respond uh, to the crisis and let me finish with just one point there's a big paradox that it appears that nobody, uh, everybody disagrees and there were, there's a strong disagreement between member states. And that, but as Vasil as said, actually, well, last year we had unanimous support for the annual budget. Every, the 28 member states voted for the annual budget. So, and these years negotiation in the council has been extremely easy, if I may say that, and the cuts are extremely limited. So, Actually, when it comes down to the reality, member states are much more aligned on where they want to go, not to talk about the unanimous support also for the new measures on entry, exit, on border control, the creation of the new European border uh, uh, and coast guard system. So when one goes down to the actual negotiations, there is much more agreement than disagreement in where we want to to go towards, Uh, at least in so far as the European budget uh, and the annual budget is, is concerned.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, Claude, uh, my question for you would be that, you mentioned it many times that you, we need to increase the size of the budget because we have many needs. You mentioned a lot of, a lot, uh, a lot of needs. And uh, how would you finance that? And you also mentioned uh, the financial transaction tax. What form would it take? I think that would be a topic of your...
2: Okay, thanks for the question. Uh, but I, I also mentioned that uh, referring to flexibility, and maybe if we can go more in depth to to which extent we can be flexible not to use the the money i mean but as far as i understood to 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 take the underused money or non-used money from one chapter to another i, I think there are possibilities. i'm not a technician on that uh, far from that but I had understood during the negotiation of the current MFF that there were possibilities. So this is a key point, I mean, uh, because to increase the budget for the present period, we can dream. But I think just a dream is more for after 2020, no? But uh, for the present, uh, we have to focus on uh, these possibilities of passing from chapter to other chapter and anyway to the European Social uh, Structural and Investment Fund and the ESF, because it's the only social fund, the only fund, the ESF, giving uh, an answer and, well, not not well known enough. Uh, people know better, ERDF, uh, the European Regional Development Fund, because uh, to see a road, to see a bridge, it's more concrete that to have an idea of how many people and follow training, retraining, and, and so on. So, the commission, with the help of uh, social partners, also are trying to to make this more and more visible. So, um, what uh, I'm also saying is uh, concerning DSF as such um, is to increase the minimum share, and I think we can change that from now on. And uh, do, well, if it's a decision of the council and during the the midterm uh, review, and this is a message we pass is already to the, the Parliament, already to the Commission when when we have a, a discussion, because we have to be also realistic. If uh, well, we want to to give an answer and to continue the the so youth employment initiative. If we want. To uh, also give an answer more, more important to migrant workers, also to the refugees, the uh, DSF, together with other funds. But I have to say also that from the MIF, the Fund to Support uh, Asylum, uh, three billion, as far as I remember, hasn't been used. So we have also to take into account this uh, political situation and uh, make all, also pressure on member states to use the available funds. The problem of the Commission: the Commission made good proposals to be uh, more coherent also between DGs, because sometimes it's also a problem between DG Employment and DG Home, for instance. Then. To come back uh, to your question, how oh, to increase the budget, where we, we had already, and uh, supporting also the Commission proposal and supporting the Parliament proposal, several uh, well ideas and concrete proposals um, the tax the, the, the on uh, financial transactions, the financial transaction tax. Yes, we know all uh, the context and the fact uh, that, well, all member states are not supportive and, uh, well, won't be dying. And I may say also, if you are open, also in our files, (laughs) there are some uh, member organizations supporting more the government position and so on. Then we have also to be coherent and concrete. Why then this uh, FTT, this financial tax, tax, if it is not also to feed uh, the the, the European budget? Then um, another possibility also, and I think that the European Economic and Social Committee supported very much this idea to have uh, financing through um, uh, not the petrol as such but uh, in a relation with non pollution uh, attitude so if for such and such reason you well you, you have uh, the, the, the it's in order to be. It was not clear for me to understand. You don't have related to carbon uh, and, and, and so on, which has a, a result, a bad result, negative result for the consumer, Otherwise, everybody will be against. But it's more an approach not to pollute, and now more related to. Um, this uh, Paris uh, agreement. So this is the second way. Then, uh, of course, we, we have this proposal to, to have a tax on excessive uh, wealth. So these are also linked to, to, link to the, the fight against uh, the, the fiscal paradise and so on. And we have had uh, several uh, examples <laughs> during the, the last years. And, well, we are also trying uh, to find with the colleagues uh, from the different regions of, uh, of the EU uh, other proposals which are feasible, which are acceptable, because it's no sense to present a proposal that afterwards, even in the parliament, it won't be supported. But. Um, now, more, more personally, because this is not an ETUC position, I'm quite surprised with the the, the message of uh, Mr. Van Steinberg concerning the fact that um, we have to continue to give an answer, a positive answer, to those member states saying that they, they want their money back. <laughs> this is the uh, just retour you refer to, that member states actually it's a reality in many that the money they put in they get it back so um, i was quite surprised that uh, you didn't defend but you didn't oppose either so i think yeah huh?
4: so i opposed to just a tool ah okay okay get away from it.
2: okay so i misunderstood sorry so this is always uh, also uh, well a mentality or a negative approach of Member States that we have also to to change if we want also to find and propose a new own resources.
0: In fact, that, that's, perfe- that's a perfect transition because the question I want to ask to Vasil, uh, I want to have his view as a chief negotiator uh, for, for the presidency of the Council on, on this just retour logic. Did you see it? In fact, did you experience it? And do you really think that uh, the fact that uh, the budget uh, comes from national contribution encourages uh, uh, countries to finance uh, some, some policies? just because they know that they will get uh, the money uh, from it and not because uh, they are the most efficient policies. And there is always this example that is given, um, is the fact that uh, nobody pushes for, for, for research uh, because we don't know where research grants are going to, to land because they are based on merit and basically that's why uh, member states are not pushing more for, for, for research grants because they are not sure that they will get them. Did you experience first hand um, the just return logic or, or is it just a, a theoretical uh, uh, argument?
3: Thanks. Actually, if I may, uh, before I go to this question, just on the FTT, because <laughs> FTT is a, is a kind of issue which uh, where I spent many hours... Uh, uh, you, you probably know there are 11 countries which are in this uh, group for enhanced cooperation, as it's called, and uh, Slovakia is also one of those countries, so Uh, So we had many, many discussions, many hours spent at the minister level, deputy minister level, talking about how to implement FTT. And um, I I think the initial idea was fine. The initial idea was because it came immediately after the financial crisis, after the misbehavior of banks and financial institutions, and the politicians thought, okay, well, now is the time to punish them because uh, we had to spend uh, public money to... Uh, to to get the banks uh, back into order and to um, also help citizens who suffered from this. So let's do FTT as a way to uh, get money from the uh, financial institutions uh, back to the public level and European level and then find a way how to use it uh, to also in the future uh, some kind of situations to to, to have some cushion uh, to deal with. Uh, i think there, there are at least two problems three problems one that uh, initially the tax was supposed to be if not global at least european yeah, then okay then there is probably some uh, some way how to do it uh, secondly it, it's a sectoral tax and um, uh, we uh, in within europe european union we don't have the same uh, development of different sectors in the same country yeah, it's not cookie cutting exercise so different countries uh, uh, would suffer differently from different way how the tax would be structured. And this was always the biggest discussion among the ministers, that if somebody came with the tax on, on derivatives, uh, there was g- immediately somebody else who would say, well, but our country actually makes most of the money when I was exchange totally through derivatives trading and we will pay more than the other country that does not have such structure of financial sector. So. The structural focus was uh, was, was a no go, I would say. And, uh, and and thirdly, and Nadia knows a lot about this, uh, and we spent together a lot on banking union. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, the FTT came actually before banking union was implemented. And I think banking union, in a way, takes away uh, the very kind of first fundamental idea of FTT, uh, because banking union already creates mechanism how banking institutions, financial institutions. Uh, do contribute to uh, d- uh, different ways of uh, uh, dealing and and, and, and creating pools of, pools of money that would help uh, in the future if there was a crisis. But hopefully it will prevent the crisis. So any- anyway, FTT, I think uh, so far, bad experience. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but frankly, I'm not very optimistic. Now on the uh, juste de Tour, um, uh, yes, I think it's, uh, we experience it because it's part of the budgetary process. It's uh, part of the MFF, it's part of the budget procedures. Um, uh, we can do, as a presidency, we can do nothing about this, just basically respect it. Uh, In the long yeah. if you had to make a change to
0: the process so that the Justo Auto doesn't
3: exist, uh, Well, I, I, uh, I personally believe that uh, especially if there are funds uh, uh, from... Net contributors who are coming to the, which are coming to the budget, and as we know, uh, there are uh, different ways how the money actually comes back from different sources. Whether it's penalties on companies, or whether it's uh, uh, what it's called when the uh, uh, when the countries who are using misbehave, it's uh, special, and they have to come back. Fines, yeah. but there is also an, another way. But basically when uh, like cohesion countries don't use the full amount and they yeah. have to... Decommitments. Retar- decommitments, exactly. That's what I was looking for. So uh, there, there is quite a, lo- a lot of money coming back to the EU budget through decommitments. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are these uh, uh, flows of money going back to the EU budget and uh, currently the, the structure is that uh, they are basically re- redistributed back to the countries. And I think it's... Uh, I agree that uh, this... Uh, for me it doesn't make sense. Uh, once the money were put into the EU budget for EU purposes then why, why the hell should we go back to the national level and uh, maybe it's an opportunity for the new financial regulation to deal with this issue and, and, um, and to make sure that the money actually stays in the EU budget and is used for European purposes which we have as we discussed. It. Uh, the migration issues, security, uh, gro- uh, economic growth, and so on, and, and the same goes for R and think that uh, R and D, and for me, it's always uh, because, as Nadia mentioned, the size of the EU budget is relatively small. Uh, so we, I think, we should always look at what is the added value of the EU budget, and for me, the added value is at this European, transnational, cross-border uh, area, which is either in the transport, infrastructure, or research to bring the best minds of Europe to work together on moving Europe towards a better place so that our young people don't have to go to Silicon Valley or Shanghai or somewhere to, to make things happen. So if we could uh, do this type of changes, and um, as was mentioned, I think that our leaders, European leaders, see the new challenges, and I think they are good in uh, Formulating quite a good consensus on the new challenges. For me, what the problem of the budget is is, is the past that we have too many things, uh, the chains of the past, yeah, which are on the budget and which are hampering us to, un, you know, kind of uh, unleash this uh, uh, this energy and uh, financial resources for the for the new things. So, from that perspective, I. Maybe I'm a minority, but I actually see the Brexit, and it doesn't matter whether it happens or not, we'll see well, how the British people decide, but uh, eventually, well, they decided, but okay, Article 50 and so on. But, um, but for me, actually, the Brexit uh, is an opportunity for Europe, for the EU. It's an opportunity to come back to the drawing board and say, okay, well, something is going wrong in Europe uh, because uh, a major country wants to get out So um, if we don't want to have uh, another set of countries doing the same in the future, we have to change something. And and for me, something which would send a strong signal is the EU budget. So let's uh, really get rid of the past, uh, of the things which are not correspondent to to the current needs. Let's uh, redo the budget in the way which would really correspond to to current realities and to current challenges. But it requires uh, leadership, vision. And, um, and, and to be bright, so we'll see. We have, as you know, in, in Bratislava we'll have on the 16th of September, uh, the unusual summit of 27. <laughs> uh, so we'll see what happens uh, at, at, at that time. Uh, but uh, f- I think Europe needs new thinking, for sure. Uh,
0: s- thanks very much. So, Jakob, you mentioned uh, that a way to break, in fact, is just the auto-logic, uh, would be to first finance publi- European public goods. Uh, so, my first question would be uh, what are those goods? <laughs> Do you have any clue about this? And um, the other thing is that you mentioned that one way to break also this just uh, logic would be to have own resources. Uh, because basically, if, you, if the resources com- don't come from national contributions, then the member state uh, will not decide wh- what's, what's in the expenditure side. Uh, Where can we raise these own resources? What kind of tax do you envisage? You say that the financial transaction tax is a no-go at the moment.
4: Well, on the public goods, I already gave some examples. I mean, obviously when you create Schengen, you you create a number, when you, you get rid of the borders internally, you create a number of European public goods that need to be Funded at the European level and frankly organized at the European level and you're absolutely right. We're moving in that direction Um, But we're moving in that direction in a way where I would predict um, uh, We may need uh, crazy agreements uh, with the likes of Turkey uh, um, You know for a very long time to come if we continue to move at that pace Uh, so um, I think uh, that's uh, uh, that's part of the problem. And, you know, you could s- say the same thing uh, for, um, uh, for uh, it, what started off as a, as a brilliant insight. Uh, monetary policy is reaching its limits and we need uh, a, a, a fiscal impulse and we created FC um, and we agreed that it should be a, a significant percentage of Euro area GDP and thereby also of EU GDP. Um, and then we came up uh, where the crazy scheme, uh, where we just take a couple of billion from investment into the future from Horizon 2020 and connecting Europe, uh, which is sort of the good side, in my view, of the European budget, and then we spend it on concrete. Um, and then we say, brilliant, we solved our problems. Uh, and um, while I know, in terms of, you know, I, I would give you an A for effort, um, I think the effort it took. Uh, to to bring FC off the ground. I mean, that's incredible. I'm delighted that it happened. But in terms of the output, in terms of being able to explain to citizens what's the macro impact? The macro impact is probably close to zero. What's the impact in terms of investing into the right uh, um, uh, kind of areas for the future of Europe? The net impact, if you know where the money is coming from, is also at least unclear, it's ambiguous. Uh, and then we say problem solved uh, because we've uh, we've made so much of an effort. I don't think that's going to um, uh, uh, um, uh, that's going to work. So there are obvious public goods in the area of uh, you know um, uh, uh, um, uh, of of open borders, in the area um, of security, uh, in the area of I would say stabilization as well. Even though some of these may be euro area specific, and that, that's where the uh, um, that's where the geography comes in. Um, but I think uh, th- that would be a huge benefit now, moving a little bit to the second or your second question the second part of your question, um, I think it can be beneficial to make a greater distinction between you know what should be in a discretionary bu- budget, and not all items on a discretionary budget, if you look at national budget that look nonsensical, are nonsensical because often you get what seems to be a nonsensical expenditure as part of political log rolling. You know, there's an important national initiative. There's one region that would be very badly affected by it. Then you um, sort of try to compensate them with the budget, and hopefully that's only for a couple of years, um, and then, then you get rid of that nonsensical item. But overall, in the overall scheme of things, that's productive. It's, it's a productive part of a discretionary budget to basically say we're going to um, uh, we're never going to have Pareto improvements, but we're going to come closer to that. But if you have this huge legacy problem sitting there because a long, long time ago, somebody needed to be compensated and you just <laughs> carry it through for decades, I mean, that's madness. So I'm not even against sort of crazy looking items in the budget, but they just mustn't sort of carry on. I mean, breaking, breaking with the past, uh, uh, that's, that's a key a problem that we have when we are unable to do it. Um, And I think what can be helpful um, is also to think about, you know, what should be part of the discretionary budget and what should be off budget. There are many countries, for example, who run their pension system to an important extent off budget, not inside the budget. That's not an accident. Um, I have some sympathy, as as some of you in this room may know, uh, for a, a European unemployment insurance system or reinsurance system. I think that shouldn't be organized as part of the budget. I think that should be organized as, as, as off-budget. So I think these choices, you know, what's budget? What's outside the budget? And then, of course, the question, where does the funding come from? And there's some areas where you want a specific correspondence between where the money comes from and where it's being spent. That's the off-budget part. And there are other parts uh, where, where, where that's precisely what you don't want. Um, and that's, that's the budget part. And I think we uh, need to be uh, much more forceful in thinking uh, post-2020 what's, what's the right mix, what's, uh, what should be in the budget, what should be discretionary, what should be outside the budget. And so I think what, what, what we're in for is hopefully a period where you're going to be even more busy in the next couple of years than you were in, in, in the past couple of years.
0: Um, thanks very much. By the way, I agree with you, and I worked on FC, and I, I totally um, agree with your judgment on it. I think that we took some money from valuable uh, uh, EU budget programs like Horizon 2020 and, uh, and Connecting Europe Facility to put it in a guarantee fund uh, that is supposed to, 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 to give a guarantee to the EAB that is absolutely not necessary. If we want the EIB to uh, invest in more risky projects, we just could have asked the EIB to invest in riskier projects. We don't need a new budget guarantee for that. And I think it, in the end, when you look at the project in which uh, the EIB has been investing in uh, through FC, basically the usual project uh, that they have been investing in, it's very traditional, out of all the projects, most of them are, are in highways and, uh, and and other projects that the EIB have been doing for years. So. In my view, even if it represents only a small part of the EU budget, 8 billion over a few years, uh, it's not really uh, useful. Don't no um, get me
4: wrong, I actually think FC was an achievement. I just think that in terms of output, it's, it's just not enough.
0: No, that's also my point. Um, so, but maybe, in fact, we already <laughs> are running out of time. We have only 20 minutes la- left, so uh, I think it's time for to, to give the floor to the, to the audience uh, for questions, uh, comments, suggestions. Uh, I think there should be uh, a mic somewhere. You have one?
5: Hello, uh, Catherine Fiore, EU reporter. I have a question. You, you've mentioned how uh, you, there is a strong case to be made for a bigger European budget, etc., to do the good works uh, that it could be done. You made a very good point that people need to be convinced that that money is well used. But at the same time, national governments are told through the growth and stability pact that they cannot spend any more money and that they must so it puts politicians in a very difficult position if you want them to support a larger european budget if they at home are facing very serious constraints in how they spend their money so could you look at the budget post 2020 in a broader way not just the EU budget, but the EU budget as people see it, you know, it's versus their national spending. And also, do you see other tools that could come to to Europe's assistance? I mean, we see quantitative easing being used by the European Central Bank. Do you think this could be used more productively? Thank you.
4: Try to give a very quick answer. I mean, there are obviously uh, efficiencies of doing things, certain things at the European level. I mean, it was mentioned uh, um, research funding. Um, obviously, you can have uh, a research funding um, competition at the national level. You know, you have these grant systems, and then it's administered at the national level. And then, hopefully, if you have a good system, the allocation is going to be perfect. At the national level. And if you have uh, um, many member states doing that, and all of a sudden you replace that or complement it with the European system, chances are your allocation of funds is going to be even better. And the same, of course, would be true uh, for um, European public goods. I mean, just imagine I come from a federal uh, uh, state from Germany. Um, and uh, of course, we could organize our border uh, uh, controls, or could have organized our border controls before Schengen um, at the level of the individual states. Uh, it would have been nice for my state, Thuringia, because we don't have an external border, even, even in Germany. But that would have been very inefficient, it would have been madness. And I think it's madness in the Schengen area to have external border controls, which are essentially still nationally funded and nationally organised. So it's not about, you know, it's not just about shifting funds around between the national and the European level. If if you get it right, according to I don't know subsidiarity considerations, there there are huge benefits to be had, and that of course includes, and that's a more delicate part, and it concerns particularly your area. Um, the question of insurance, insurance mechanisms. And obviously, uh, um, uh, you know, if you're in insurance, you want to centralize, not decentralize. You want to make use of the law of large numbers. Uh, and, and that's why, uh, of course, there's a strong case to be made for more Europe in a number of areas. Uh,
3: just very briefly, because I think very good point in the sense that... Uh, uh, EU budget is a really relatively small pool of money. Uh, the main drivers of economic development in Europe have to be national budgets. The question is how do we set, set up a, an economic governance in EU which would create this kind of environment, uh, pro-investment, pro-innovation, etc. And uh, unfortunately here I see many problems and uh, it's basically, I think, so, as, as someone some say, that when the uh, left arm doesn't know what the right arm is doing, Uh, in the sense that uh, we have all these two-pegs, eight-pegs, many, many structures uh, related to the uh, deficit and debt burdens and and ceilings and so on, but uh, in many cases are not coordinated. Not coordinated in the sense to create the necessary pro-investment, pro-innovation stimulus. And I'll I'll give you just one example. Uh, We already mentioned the EFSI, great, very good tool the way how it was created, maybe not the ideal, the money where it came from, but okay, very good tool to promote innovations and and investment in Europe. Um, Now, one of the main ways how the EFSI should work is to work closely with the national development banks in the member states, uh, so to leverage the money from the national level and also from private sector. And and that's the idea that the uh, the EFSI is just the nucleus and then you have a a lot of leverage happening from the national and private resources. But on the national level, because of the uh, new regulations of ESA 2010, which is the new statistical basically uh, methodology for EU, uh, most of the national banks uh, became part of the uh, public budget, which means that any money that the national banks are borrowing is going to the, uh, to, to the debt. So, immediately you are basically cutting yourself, and the same happens, is happening more and more with PPP projects. I mean, the main idea of EFSI was to finance PPP projects in infrastructure, in, in, in research, development, and so on, social areas. Uh, but most of the PPP projects now, and we were facing the same situation in Slovakia when we were uh, working on a major PPP highway. Uh, most of the projects now, according to the European Statistics Office, uh, are uh, counted as uh, having impact on the public budget, increasing the, uh, increasing the, especially the public debt, and then through annual payments also the deficit. So, on one hand, we create a tool how to promote investment. On the other hand, we create regulations and structures which actually do not allow it to ha- to happen and to use. And uh, so, this is what I call: right hand doesn't know what the left is doing and I think we need this type of much better coordination and rethinking how the whole mechanism works so that we have, uh, uh, we have Europe which actually can go forward. You want to add
0: something or let's go to the next
3: question,
6: yeah. Uh. Okay, M- uh, Massimo Bordignon from the Catholic University of Milan, also, a f- um, I'm gonna say, no permanent fellow at Brooklyn. I mean, uh, a comment, uh, which is perhaps a question to everybody, and then a more specific question. The comment is, uh, it seems to be to be a lot of agreement among you, no? in spite of the fact that I in representing different countries, different positions, institutions, but there are some. Again. We need more flexibility. We need to overcome the legacy of the past. We have to respond to each other true priority, okay? And so the question is, why, why we are we not doing it? I mean, is, is this going to happen or not? because it seems to be all disagreement, then of course the reaction would be, let's do it. And so um, the the question is, how how do you look at the things? What do you think is going to happen in the future? Are we going to move now, especially after Brexit, whatever, in this direction, or not? So this question. The second one, I mean, it seems to me, when we discuss about this funding and flexibility, I mean, maybe there is a link between the two. I mean, my personal perception, also wrote something about this topic. but uh, that there is a link. I mean, because if you want to be autonomous, you know, so deciding which are the priority of which you want to respond, you can do it uh, with your money. If uh, the money comes from the country, it's pretty reasonable that the country which put the money, they also want to insist how this money is spent. So I think that there is a link between the two. It's not just the courts, uh, you know, deciding. It's probably at the moment more, Uh, The urgent to find more flexibility on the expenditure side, they're discussing the funding side. But there is a link between the two because the more autonomous you are, the probably the more ability you have to spend, decide how to spend this money. And on this point specifically, you know, uh, this is another thing I'm surprised. There is a high-level group of own resources uh, chaired by Monty should present the result. None of you has mentioned it. This, I mean, are you not expecting anything from there? I mean, we talk about the FTT, which I agree. I think that is a very bad tax at the European level, but there are other opportunities. The VAT, I mean, sharing the VAT in a more sensible, uh, credible way, and so on and so forth. So, again, I mean, the, the question is, what's going to happen on the funding side? And uh, you know, the, uh, add all this discussion on the own sources, on tasks going somewhere? Or no? Okay. Let's start with uh, Nadia, and then the others.
1: Yes, thank you very much, because I was going to mention the high-level group on resources, so you have, uh, you have given me the, the perfect cue, but before I do that, maybe to give you a sense of what uh, I am, I am quite optimistic by nature, of, so it's not that difficult, but actually, after my experience in the last two and a half years being responsible for the budget, I'm quite optimistic, because when the Commission has come with a proposal, We have seen that the Parliament and the Council have supported us. That was the main message I wanted to to, to put forward. We have been uh, using the flexibility instruments to move funds from different headings, between headings, for example. We have proposed it for next year, it's called the contingency margin, the way to move the, the ceilings, so not only moving the money but even beyond or underneath changing the ceilings that were in the MFF relatively, in the different headings. And actually the council has supported it. And so I'm quite I'm quite um, optimistic, not optimistic, but I'm persuaded that uh, progressively there is a common understanding between the different institutions that we need to move in that direction. And I think that part of it is also seeing that the commission is acting in a very responsible manner. And in line with, with the previous question, f- budget discipline has been felt at the national level. It has reached the European level and actually the current MFF, it it is marked by this sense of uh, uh, higher, if I may say, budgetary discipline. Now, on the issue of revenues and and people were, were mentioning it, and I was planning to say it at the end. Well, one interesting feature of the European budget is that it's expenditure-driven. This is extremely different from national budget. So we get together, we agree on what we're going to spend, and then give me the money, You know, which is a bit odd as a, as a budgetary structure. But it means that I think the debate on revenues has to be linked to the debate on expenditure. And so we have to get together and agree what we want to do at European level, what we're going to fund, and then how we fund it, no, and the two have to go together. Now, tomorrow on the day after, tomorrow will take place a very important interparliamentary conference here in the European Parliament with national parliaments, with a high-level group on own resources, and Mr Monti and Mr Schulz and Juncker will be speaking there. Precisely to have this public event to debate this issue, and by the end of the year, the high-level group will produce a report. Now, this is not going to have an impact on the mid-term review, because obviously we're not going to to, uh, create an upheaval of the revenue system right now. But it obviously is going to have a very important influence on the next MFF. And as of next year, the Commission will have to to propose the, the next MFF after 2020. One would have thought it's a bit premature, but, uh, but uh, seeing the rhythm at which things change, maybe it's not that premature. And so next year, there will be a full-fledged debate, as of next year, on the expenditure and the revenue side of the budget uh, post-2020.
2: Uh, I would like to, to react also concerning the, the question you made that we are also very... Expectful <laughs> of what will be the decision in order to to, to have more flexibility in, in the present uh, budget up to uh, 2020, and yes, of course we have to to influence and debate already about the after 2020 MFF. But as it has been mentioned also during the debate, if we we want to give a positive and very concrete sign and understandable sign to the citizen and to young people. We have to come with uh, concrete changes and concrete proposal. I mentioned in the beginning that we want the continuation of the year because it is not sure that it will be continued. There has been a very good decision uh, to have uh, for, for two years the financing, using the SF, and and so and so, but it's highly important to continue, because the problem is obviously not solved, it's even worse in some some countries. And so if we want to give a a concrete uh, sign, but when I said understandable, is that young people have to know about it, because what we monitored in the SF committee Uh, with the commission and the member state and our colleagues, that young people don't know. And also, uh, well, most of them, I mean, and also who is using and having, well, also uh, the contact with the the administration and so on. These are not the the needs. These are the high qualified. It's seven, as far as I remember, 70% of young people having resources from uh, the yay. Quali- so what are we going to do for the less or no qualified? So there is always this uh, kind of good announce and declaration and then nothing or not enough. So this is a priority and I mean if we can move between the chapter, the headings, and hopefully your proposal also is going to be approved by uh, the European uh, Council, and I'm quite sure that the parliament is going to that way when I see the report in discussion uh, for the moment. But then also, um, what what we have to ensure, uh, and I'm going to refer more, of course, for for social policies and and financing of social policy, to ensure a coherence between the existing funds because it's not the case uh, necessarily, and for a series of reasons, and for instance, the EGF, even if it's not a lot of money, but the European Globalization Fund is out of the budget, it's not a lot of money, but most of the time it's not used, uh, even if it's also underused, eh? because well, the, 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 the workers don't know, or the enterprise don't know necessarily, but it's also underused and misused in relation with the ESF, because ESF is also there. It's a preventive fund, whereas EGF is curative. So this is, uh, well, not understandable also. Why don't you have under the same umbrella all the social fund, also the EASY program, it's also employment related, uh, mobility related. So um, this is not an answer. I have the same question. <laughs> and the answer will come uh, in, in the, the next months and years. But uh, also we cannot end the debate on the midterm review or revision of them without changes and only speaking about after 2020, looking back to the origin and so on, because then we, we delay the decision again.
0: Yeah, Jacob, do you have any clue why yeah. nothing
4: is happening? <laughs> well, just very briefly, on this own resources, where, where's some sort of a formula uh, for the funding? I think one reason why people are very keen to discuss the own resources, because they're hoping, well, we create some sort of a consensus for the own resources on the funding side. It's more or less a unanimous decision. And then we just hope that once the money is sort of in our coffers, then it could, can be basically a majority voting procedure what the money is spent on. I mean, that's, I think, an important part um, of, um, of the fantasy. Um, and now, in principle, you can have the same fantasy for uh, you know, contributions that are based on a formula. Um, so it's, it's unclear to me um, in political economy terms, whether it's a realistic hope that, uh, sort of, um, when it comes to membership contribution schedules, they still, uh, member states still want to have a very precise say on what the money is being spent on. And if you do something that is uh, a little bit proportionate to GDP, but uh, uh, a tax, uh, say, VAT, uh, then it's a completely different logic. Um, and I worry a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm in favor of, of own resources but I worry a little bit that uh, people are um, hoping for too much when it comes to these things. And also, I just want to highlight that there can also be adverse effects. I mean, take, for example, there's an interesting literature on German tax collection. And uh, there are, unfortunately, incentives in some of the richer states in Germany, for example, Bavaria, um, to do fewer tax controls. Uh, um, because, of course, they know these are shared revenues anyway. And and I'm just asking the question uh, whether we are confident that perhaps uh, it's it's an improvement if all of a sudden you create for certain taxes those kinds of problematic incentives. So so, um, while I fully subscribe to the agenda that is behind the idea of having uh, own resources, I just warn a little bit that um, we need to be a little bit careful whether, whether you know, we, we are going to get what we hope for uh, uh, w- once we get there, if we get there.
0: Yeah, okay. But I think this problem could be really easily be solved by having just federal uh, tax inspector, right? And then for the, for the federal tax. Um, yeah, in fact, I think we are running out of time, so I think I'm going to give uh, Vasil uh, the, the, the last words. Uh, because it's already five past one, so unless...
3: I, I, I don't know whether it's the last word, but uh, I think your question summarizes it very well. Grazie. Uh, because uh, yeah, the question is, okay, we all somehow know what needs to be done with the budget, what should be changed, how to make it more efficient, better for people, for Europeans, for the countries, uh, so let's do it. Yeah. Um, and I think what uh, what is needed is uh, political vision will, and, and leadership. That's, that's what we need at the European level to, to move in, in that direction. Um, I know that uh, Nadia and her people in the commission are doing maximum to move lines in between headings and so on to find, uh, uh, f- find uh, these flexibilities to, uh, to, to face the uh, new challenges. Uh, I think the council is also doing the best to, to find way how to work together with council and uh, parliament. But still we are in this very small closed box, and, and uh, as I mentioned before, I think if we, don't, if we are not able to leapfrog, to look into the future, to get rid of the things of the past, um, I, I like past, and I love history and so on, but uh, there are some elements of the past in the budget which I don't think are helpful at this point. Uh, if we are not able to look into the future and move to the future and structure the budget uh, which would address these challenges and needs of the future, then we will be always just muddling through. And, and this is what the I think the major challenge today is in front of Europe, so I hope that, uh, uh, that uh, we'll be able to move in that direction, and I'm also optimistic, as Nadia and all of us, otherwise we would not sit here, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, we'll find a way how to, how to do that, uh, but it's not going to be an easy easy road. So, but thank you very much for, it, for your attention. Thanks.
2: Uh, yeah,
0: so we have been running out of time, so unless someone wants to have really last word, I really like this last word of let's do it of Vasil, so I think we'll end up with, with that with that conclusion. Thanks very much to the speakers and to the audience.